Hey, uh, many of you know this young lady. Some of you do not. Her name is, it used to be Rachel Hale. And just jump on up. That's awesome. It's amazing. Uh, but her, her new name is Rachel De Garcia. How did I do? Close? Rachel Hale De Garcia. Rachel Hale De Garcia. Okay. They just add, they well, just add the starting, last name. Yeah, this is starting out really well. <laughs> It's new. I've only yeah. been married like five months, so it's okay. okay. Well, yeah, but I should have gotten it right. Um, <laughs> that's why people don't ask me to do weddings. I really mess them up. Um, Rachel has been part of our church uh, since actually before she was born and has just been part of us forever and a member of our family, uh, not, not my personal family, but you know what I'm saying, uh, during this whole time. Two years ago, you... Um, left us and went to Guatemala to serve as a, a kind of a helper to the Ericsons and, and with their daughter, uh, Emily, while they were busy doing a lot of things. You were, I don't know what you did. You were like a nanny and a teacher and a, <laughs> and a friend and so many things. And uh, you've really blessed that family. But somewhere along the way, Rachel uh, met a young man by the name of Nola. And uh, they were married five months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, she married an amazing guy. Uh, I say that in faith because I've never met him. But um, I'm assuming he's great. Uh, I really like him, and I'll tell you why. Um, and I don't know if this happened, like, if he shared this with you before you were married or after. I, I cho- choose to do things after things. Okay. But um, it was, we'll, we'll say it's after we were married. Okay, I like this guy more. Um, he shared with her that God was calling him and thus them to plant a church. And they don't, you know, he doesn't really speak English and she's learning Spanish. And so I don't know what happened in that conversation, <laughs> nor does she. <laughs> but long story short, this guy's had a vision for starting a church and he wants to call it Destiny Church, which freaked Rachel out. I did. I, I freaked out a little bit because, you know, why would he want Destiny of all things and in English? Wait, like, what's that mean, of all things? What the, why? <laughs> why would he want a church that I grew up in? Oh, well, okay. Well, anyway, thank God he does. And, um, and so they haven't really started the church yet, but they kind of have. They've, they're starting it with children. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing with the kids right now. So and right where now, you are. What's the name of the town? And it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So right now, we're a little bit outside of Antigua um, in a place called San Pedro Las Huertas. And um, the place that we are really ministering to is called The Blessing. Obviously not in English. It's La Benedicion. And so um, these people are pretty much squatters. They have these um, tin roof housings. They live on government property, no running water. Um, and then it's just, it's the poor of the poor. So the parents work all day. So then the kids have to watch their younger siblings. So a lot don't have any, what's it? Sorry, I've been living in Guatemala for 10 months. So my English sometimes is not the greatest. <laughs> um, 
they don't have the best education because they are watching their younger siblings. So on Saturdays, we are now having a program for the kids where anywhere between we have a one-year-old and to a 12-year-old, where the bigger kids hang out with my husband, listen about Jesus, just spend some good time just as them. And then I pull the little kids to the back with them coloring and pretty toys so they're slowly leaving their older siblings just to give their older siblings a break. Because can you imagine, as an 11-year-old, I was in charge of making sure my cat was fed. And it was one of those, it was already like a feeder, so I just needed to make sure it was full every like two months. So I can't even imagine Actually, being in charge of a one-year-old. if you don't feed a cat, that's fine too. Yeah, he was yeah. an outdoor cat, so yeah. he could even eat mice yeah. or whatever. Oh. So, you know, I can't imagine being in charge of my one-year-old sibling. So these kids are just... They need to learn how to be kids, and that's what me and my husband and my in-laws are really working towards. Okay, so we met on Thursday, and we're talking about all this stuff, and I asked Rachel, I said, when do you go back? She goes, on Tuesday. I said, okay, then we have to talk about this on Sunday. Um, I don't know if Nolan knows this yet. You may have told him. But, I did. I texted him okay, a little okay. bit about we're it. We're sitting there, and, and I'm asking, okay, what can we do? And, and obviously, we're going we're gonna to include these guys in our mission support in January, and, and so we talked a little bit about that. And in the middle of that, I just had this brainstorm, and I just decided that we're going to launch Destiny Church in the blessing, and we're going to do it today. And um, I don't even know what that really means, and you're probably wondering what's going on, but here's what it means to me. We're going to give them all the support they need to make this happen. We're going to figure out how to get material in Spanish to Nola so he begins to understand the idea of what it is to plant a church who has in its DNA church planting. Because we want to plant churches who plant churches and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so we have a wealth of information, uh, things that I've been receiving for years and years uh, in terms of what it takes to take a nation. And so we're going to be giving that to them. Uh, first, I have to find it. Then we're going to give it to them. And I know where it is. I just have to find it. And, um, and then we're just going to pray for them. We're going to support them. Uh, we're going to love them. We're going to encourage them. And they're going to plant more churches and more churches that we can just have an effect in Guatemala that, uh, you know, we, we can't even imagine. And uh, so uh, this is um, Rachel's home church. There's nobody better to do this than us. So I would like for you to once again stand, and we're going to pray and pray this church into existence. We're going to pray for Nola and Rachel and um, uh, for Destiny Church in the blessing. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this young lady who is just working and serving out of a lifetime of experience and challenge and education, all the things that you've put together in her life um, that, that are just all coming to fruition right now in her world. Lord, we pray for Nola. We thank you for him. I thank you for this young man who has a heart for your kingdom and, and who's willing to go back to his, his not just his homeland, but his, the, the territory, the place that he grew up and, and that he could really have a heart and passion for children and adults who 
seemingly are fatherless, uh, seemingly are lost, but you're just adopting them. And I just pray for Destiny Church in the blessing. I pray that you would just bless them incredibly, that, uh, Lord, we could figure out how we can support them in an incredible way uh, in terms of ministry. And I just, Father, I'm so excited about what you're going to do and that we get to be part of this. And so we just rejoice in that. We pray that your kingdom would come on earth in the town of the blessing outside of Santiago Zamora. I just pray that this would take place and um, Lord, that you would just change that region for Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Go get them. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Hey, I'm going to put this down. I'm not leaving. Don't, don't you leave. Um, I want you to pray with me. A prayer that we all know. So let's, let's begin. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, wait a minute, hang on. We're going to stop there. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful to your prayer, but I want you to think about what you just prayed. Some of you have never prayed that prayer before. You maybe don't know it. And, and I understand in today's culture, that's, that's very likely to make you a bad person, by the way. It <clears throat> makes you pretty much uh, uh, just a person of the culture. And so we get a chance to talk about this prayer. If you're like me, you've prayed this prayer thousands upon thousands of times. Um, some of you grew up in a Catholic church, Episcopal church, Presbyterian or Lutheran, whatever, and, and this was just part of the liturgy of the church. And so you would pray this prayer, and, and sometimes weekly, sometimes daily. I'm old enough to have prayed this prayer, not only at church, in fact, less at church and more at public school. I prayed this prayer. At, we, we always said the Pledge of Allegiance. We had to stand. We said the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we prayed uh, the Lord's Prayer every day in elementary school and then in junior high school. And then in high school, we actually did it, but it was uh, at, at that time, you didn't have to stand or pray. It was just for those who wanted to. So three-fourths of our class would always pray the prayer. So I've prayed it many thousands and thousands of times, and we've prayed it in here before. And when we just prayed it, we did what I tend to do all the time, and then that is... You don't want to mess up the words to the Lord's Prayer. And as a pastor especially, I want to get it right. So I don't think about what I'm praying sometimes. I just want to, okay, what's the next line? And, and as you get older, you, you, you do that with a lot of things. But the Lord's Prayer has this one little phrase in it. And, and by the way, the, Lord's, the reason they call it the Lord's Prayer is because Jesus, who is Lord taught this prayer to his disciples when they said, teach us to pray. And he, he said, okay, pray these things. And one of the things he said to do was pray, God, would your kingdom please come to earth the way it is in heaven? And I don't know if you've ever taken the time to try to figure out what that means, what it, what it might look like for the kingdom of heaven to be here on earth. When I think about that, it blows my mind because the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven. It's where God is in charge. Everything is perfect. There is peace and love and joy 
and eternity and, and all the things that we have been taught to hope for one day. And yet we're supposed to pray that that comes to earth. Now that could be confusing because in our finite minds, we cannot imagine the kingdom of heaven on earth, yet we pray for it. So what does that look like? I mean, first of all, you have to have a kind of a blueprint of what heaven might look like because you're praying for something and, and we don't really know what it is, but we have some things that we could know what it is and, and we just need to figure some of this out because we're supposed to not only pray for it, we're supposed to work for it. And we don't understand how it's all going to happen, but there is enough in Scripture that teaches us about the kingdom of heaven and about our role in the kingdom of heaven that we really need to take a second look at this. Today's the last day of our series, What on Earth Are We Here For? Or, or What on Earth Are You Doing? And, and it's also probably an intro to our next series, which is Salt and Light, which is all about the church. But I want to begin today by reading... Uh, a passage of Scripture out of Ephesians, and it's actually uh, the first several verses of chapter 2. So you'll know the background of this particular book. You know, we have, in our country, we have the uh, Constitution of the United States of America. And, and so every law goes through the Constitution. Every action uh, in our country has to, has to be filtered through the constitution of our country. If you do something that's against the constitution, you've gone against every law, every, the, the foundation of society. And so, so when you have somebody who is anti-constitutional or they violated the constitution, it, it's a serious legal matter because the constitution is what holds everything together in, in our U.S. culture. The book of Ephesians, I want you to really understand this, the book of Ephesians is the constitution of the church of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what the church is supposed to do, who we're supposed to be, how it's supposed to act, you have to go no further than the book of Ephesians, and it will give you the whole thing. So today, I'm taking one little section of this, just, just a few verses of chapter 2, to give you a picture of something that we need to understand. So let me start reading. I'm going to begin with verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, Paul is talking, the Apostle Paul is talking to us as individuals. This isn't us as a church, it's us as individuals. And it says, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Now, some of you, uh, you may be in that situation today. I am so glad you're here. You get to hear something pretty amazing. Obeying the devil the commander of the powers in this unseen world. We've talked about that many times before, the war that's going on between the power of evil and the power of good, between Satan and, and God. He is the spirit. Satan is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our spiritual nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But... That's a big but. But God is so rich in mercy and He loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. He puts this little caveat in here. He said, it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. 
In other words, it wasn't anything you did or me. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all He has done for those of us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done or the good things I have done. It is, it is not based on us. It is not based on our goodness or our ability to be good. And even in our best days, we don't have the ability to be good all the time, do we? So thank God it's not based on that. We can't boast about it. Now this next line I want you to get because this is everything for today. For we, talking about individuals again, not the church, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. I wrote in my notes here um, that this Scripture alone puts us into what I would call a masterpiece mission. We need to figure out who we are. We need to figure out why we're here. We need to understand who it is that God has made us to be. I heard someone recently say uh, the two most important days of our lives is the day we were born and then the day we discover why. And so many people live without having any idea about this. And I will tell you, the church hasn't been all that helpful in helping us with this. In fact, the church gets us really screwed up sometimes because if you're not careful, and I would, I'd, I'd caution myself with this too, uh, we, get things think, we get to thinking that this is about the church. It's about the church being great. It's about the church doing things. And, and, and that's not what this is about. In fact, when you really read the book of Ephesians and you understand who you are and who the church is, you understand that the way pastors should really handle the church is not what we could get from you, but what we can do for you. Because the church is not the goal. The church is not the kingdom. The church is what, it, what Jesus put together to make the kingdom happen. And so our job as a church is to, to receive you, to love you, and, and not to take things from you, but to create things for you. And to give things to you so that you can be effective. I'm going through this huge, huge transformation in my own thinking in life these days because we, we've, we've really, and I, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church in the United States, not, not around the world, but in, in our Western culture, the church has become the object. And that's so messed up. The church is not the object. The church is the hammer. The kingdom of God is the object. And think about this. I heard somebody say this too. The, the, the church is the hammer. The way we act sometimes, we have a really nice hammer. I mean, we, we shine it up. We make it look really good. The only problem is it never gets used. A hammer is for hammering. 
It's for pounding. It's for knocking down the gates of hell. So building a big church or having a real successful church is not a dream I carry in terms of bigness or growth or those kinds of things. Now, I can't say that that's been true of me forever. But I'm still growing. I'm still learning. We could have thousands coming to our church. We see that happening all around our country. Yet, we are not doing anything to change culture and society. The number is 4%. 4% of people in America are considered to be followers of Christ. People who have a quiet time, who have asked Jesus into their heart, believe Jesus is the only way to the Father. You know, 4%. And we've got these huge churches, massive things. We're, we're considered huge. And yet the number is still 4%. So obviously, we've got things a little messed up. And um, I think part of the reason is what I want to talk about today because we're not building masterpieces. We're, 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 we're building churches. And I don't want us to be that way. So today, what I want to do... By the way, the reason everything is in purple is because it's the only marker that's working in the entire church. We're not spending a lot of money on markers, I can tell you that. But for us to really understand this and understand the, 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 the masterpiece thing, we need to understand our purpose in life. Why are we here? So that's, that's the big deal right here. And, and listen, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to show you some things that, that give us this. But I, I want to go ahead and fill this out. This is in your notes, and it's just going to bug me until I get the line filled out. This, all of these things that I'm going to give you create mastery in our lives. You can't be a masterpiece if you can't master anything, right? You've got to know what it is that you are and be and do. And, and so, but, but when you get to where this is really working, you begin to look at everything through the eyes of being a master of, of your purpose and knowing what your purpose and plan is and and we get stuck in some of this stuff but when we get here we get to get to fill this blank in and that is this mastery is the art of distinction and i'll tell you why that is and i'll tell you what it means it takes us to our purpose in other words everything that we do in our life we want our life to really matter we want it to count in everything that we do so when we get to get to our purpose, we get to, we get to be distinctive between the things that really matter and the things that don't matter. We, we get, you know, in our life, we get caught up in all kinds of things and we think, hey, this is good and this is good and this is not good. And, and, and so we make decisions and plans and, and it takes us all over the place. But when you become a masterpiece, you look at everything in life as, okay, from a kingdom perspective, here's what's going on. From something that's going to... I mean, we all want to be significant. We all want to have something that our life says after we're, going, after we're gone. Something that, that carries on. And we're given this opportunity to, to have eternal purpose in our lives that carries on forever. It's not found in money. It's not found in fame. It's not found in all the things that culture says it is. 
It has to do with kingdom. It has to do with what we do for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm talking to Christ followers here. This, again, that, that's going to be the caveat in everything we do. So, I want to give you eight, eight areas of life that point us toward our purpose. And you're going to find yourself in all of these areas probably in some way, one way or another. I'm a very linear thinker. If, if it can't be done in a line, I can't get it. Um, I don't get anything over here that I'm going to teach because it's in a circle. So I'm just going to give it to you. But there are certain things that happen in our life, and I want to, I want to give these to you. The first one, and the reason I have the, the letters up here is because I can't remember them without that. The first is thoughts. God uses thoughts in our lives to help us along the journey. Isaiah 55.8, though, tells us, it gives a little warning here. Uh, it talks about, uh, well, let me just read it. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. In other words, we have a lot of thoughts, um, but his are different or bigger. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen or ears heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Proverbs 16.9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Now, I'm a person who has a lot of thoughts. I require a lot of grass cutting on a riding mower because I need to think. That's just how I am. People, I tell people all the time, I love to cut grass. I don't want to cut your grass. I just love cutting grass on my mower, on my yard, and I do it for hours so I can think. And I have a lot of thoughts. And I think they're amazing thoughts. Um, I'm not going to... Well, they just are. Um, I remember one time, I came up with this thought. Uh, I had been playing ball, and I ran from third to home. And the, the catcher was getting a ball thrown to him from the outfield. And he was crouched down. And I was pretty sure I could hurdle over him. And I was flying. And I flew, and I got right over top of the guy. And he caught the ball and jumped up. And so I'm hurtling through the air and I land on my back and dislocated knee and uh, fractured pelvis and a few other things. And so they put me in the hospital and I'm there for like eight, nine days. And, and fractured pelvis, you can't, there's nothing you can do. You have to sit there and wait for it to get over itself. And so it's painful. So I'm sitting there for a couple days and, you know, I'm just looking around and, and, um, uh, then I started thinking, and I came up with this idea. And the idea was, you know, there are a lot of kids who really need love and care. So I think I'm going to build a children's home. Now this was, I think it was a wonderful thought. And by the time I got out of the hospital, I had a full set of plans drawn about this would go here and this here, you know, and it was wonderful. And I started talking to people about what happened in the hospital. And hey, this is from God and it's going to be cool. And I had people wanting to give money to this project. And then I woke up one day and I'm like, huh, I don't want to do that. Boom, it's over. And I realized I'd been on morphine for like eight days and was, the whole thing was coming to me. So I have a lot of thoughts. But one day I had a thought about this. What if I could build a business 
And it really works for the kingdom of God. In other words, I could go do things in ministry. I had not thought about planting a church at that time, but I could do things in ministry and nobody would have to pay me. Which, by the way, for those of you who don't know me, that's the case. I don't get paid from this church and I have a business and it pays me. And, and um, what if it could be used to, to just propel God's kingdom? Well, that was a thought that stuck with me. So, so the children's home is probably not going to happen. I've had a lot of thoughts like that, and I've had some thoughts that are like this. And some are from God, and some are not. Some are from pizza and, and morphine. Uh, it's a wonderful time, but it's just not helpful. Um, so that's thoughts. Then, then we move over. You know, God uses our thoughts, and then he used something else here, our gifts. Now, these are very interesting things because um, they're so important. Paul told Timothy, uh, you know, Paul was leading Timothy to to be a a great leader in the church. And he says, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. In other words, you have this gift and his gift was to preach and to teach and to encourage people. And Paul said, fan this into flames. And so he's fanning it into flames and, and, and He's supposed to be able to do that. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. And so we have gifts in our lives. So what I want you to do as you're thinking through this, think about your gifts. Think about the gifts that God has given you. What He, what he wants to bring out. I have some gifts that I have. I wrote them down. I have a gift of entrepreneurialism. I can, I can create things that don't exist. It's just, it's just in me. And I see things that other people don't see. And I, I have this creative entrepreneurial gift to do things, to start a business, to build business, to whatever. Usually it's around some kind of money. Um, if I look in Ephesians 4, the gifts that God gives us, ministry gifts, I have what I believe is an apostolic gift, which is really a starter gift. It, gift. It's It's... It's, um, again, creating something that doesn't exist, and it's part of my gifting. I do not have other gifts that I would like to have or pretend I have. Um, I wrote down things like this. Why, why do people come to me? What, what, would, what would bring people to come, to come to me for help or advice? And so I wrote some of those down. People come to me for jobs. Um, I... I with all the entities that I'm overseeing, I employ about 75 people, and and people just come to me for jobs. What's that about? I mean, it just, there's something to be said for that. People come to me for ideas. Um, they come to me. I have a lot of pastors who come to me for encouragement, and I have business people come to me for encouragement. Uh, how do I do this? What do I what do I do? So I, I have to look at all that. I really don't have many people coming to me for counseling. <laughs> In fact, I have a, something that I share with people before they come to me for counseling. And I just let them know that usually after I have counseled them, they're going to have to pay somebody to counsel them to get them over what I did to them. So that really cuts down on my counseling requirements. And it's really true. It's just not a, a gift. Um, we, all, we all have gifts. Uh, that <laughs> some of them are just flat out useless. I mean, you're really good at it, but nobody cares. Um, I have 
one of those gifts, I think. And I think in another arena of life, it could probably have been beneficial. But I have a gift that um, it's called relative pitch. And it's, it's a music thing. I discovered this when I was in the conservatory in college. And uh, I walked into this class. And there were about 200 people like me sitting in there. And um, the uh, professor sat down and at the piano. And he just started playing this pattern of notes. And he said, by the end of the semester, you will be able to hear me do that, and you'll be able to tell me what every note is. So, dumb me, I raised my hand, and I said, well, we can already do that. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, we can already do that. So, he played the notes, and I told him what every note was. I, I had to know what middle C, where middle C was, and he'd, he'd already established that. And I could tell him every note that he just played. And so he did it again. And I said, see, all of us can do that. And then all of my friends looked at me and said, I can't do that. And he goes, what's your name? And I said, uh, Wigfield, Greg. And he said, okay. He wrote it down. He said, you can leave the class. You get an A for, this, for the class. Like, gosh, that is so cool. That's amazing. It was actually the only time I ever used a gift that had any benefit in my life. I tried it in other classes and it did not work. You know, other stuff I thought I had. But I've never used relative pitch to help me with anything. But you know, if I ever need it, I've got it. And, and we all have those kinds of things. And you might think, oh, well, this is what I need or what, you know, but we need to keep going. So, um, over here. Oh, this is a big one. Personality. And so if you have your notes, I, I don't know if I have your notes. Yes, I do. Um, go to the circle in your notes, because I want you to see this, um, and I want you to, to really understand this. Um, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, Ezekiel had a vision of God. I think it's the only place outside of Revelation where somebody is trying to describe God. And Ezekiel had this vision, and he shared it with us. And so you, you'll see in the circle these, these kinds of uh, or descriptions of personality. But here is, the, uh, here is the picture that Ezekiel had. He said that God was like a lion. And then he's like a man. Then he's like an ox. And then the last one, I was getting ready to say elephant, and I knew that one, right? It's an eagle. So if you, if you fill in those blanks, you'll see these personalities of God. Now, remember, we were made in the image of God, and so we've got some of these personalities. You know, all of these are active in some level in our lives, but in some areas, we're stronger than others. And, and so we've got the lion who is a person of strength or a, an animal of strength and leadership and determination. You've got the man who is creative and, and, and thinking of all kinds of cool things. You have the ox who is humble and peaceful and the eagle who is, I, the, they just are so smart and so diligent. And 
Each one of these personalities, and you'll need to write this in because I didn't do it. Um, the lion we could call the advancer. They're the person, they're the, that's the person or characteristic that comes up with a great idea and says, here's what we're going to do. It's, it's strong leadership and this needs to happen. The creator is just that, coming up with ideas and, and new ways to do things and all that stuff. The ox is the refiner. And you'll see there, this is a, typically a person who is sincere and a nurturer, stable, humble, all those kinds of things. Um, and then the executor, uh, not executioner, the executor. In other words, they, they get it all, making it all happen. Um, I, now we, we can have a mix of these, but here's something you need to know. If you've ever gone to, I think it's step two in growth track, you'll get a mini version of the DISC test. So if you look at this, this is the D, this is the I, this is the S, this is the K. Again, these are all things that God has given us. It's all part of His personality. And we get a little bit of this. We, we're made in the image of God. I happen to be really high D and, and high I. My I is a little lower than the D. In fact, what I'm going to do... Um, well, no, I can't erase it yet. Um, let me do it this way. So, I am this person right here. This is going to be a light bulb. I'm a light bulb. I have a lot of determination and grit, and I also come up with a lot of cool ideas. And I, this, is, this is the person you really want to be. All right? <laughs> I'm joking. All right? No, but I like me. I like, I like the personality that God gave me. And, and so... I'm, I'm hard charging. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to bring leadership. I'm going to, hey, my way or the highway, you know, that kind of stuff. That's an abuse of power. Um, I like creating and coming up with new things that nobody has seen. And, and so this all works great. You know, this is awesome. It, you know, you go over here and it's cool. And then you run into an ox. And all these nice things that are in here, that doesn't explain everything about that person. These are red flag people. These are the people, like, I've, I've talked to you guys about this before. I'm a wow person. People hear me say things and they say, wow. This is a how person. How in the world are you going to do that? Another word they use a lot is no. These people kill these people. And I would just say this, again, I've said it before, don't howl somebody to death right after they've given you the wow. You know, give it a week before you cream them. Because the chances is that a wow person may just totally forget the wow thing before you get a chance to kill it. Just... Give them a little time, a little breathing room. All right, now some of you already know who you are in this. Then it goes over here. And this is the person, these are the engineers, the CPAs, they're the ones that, they're like this, you know. 
You can't get these people excited about anything. If Jesus would come back, they'd be sitting there taking notes about how he should have done it. It's just, that's who they are. Sometimes they seem emotionless. And and you just tell them everything you got, and they're like, so exactly how many people are going to be part of that? You know, they just drive you nuts. They're not no people, but they want to know things, right? Which, that also kills a wow person. I don't know. I just got this vision from God. Leave me alone. Um, So, let me tell you about Pam and me. (laughs) This is me. This is her. In fact, I'll show you what our disc test showed us. It showed us that we were going to have a very interesting marriage. So, Uh, disc. Yeah, C, it's not a K, sorry. Um, I am high D, high I, S, C. That's my, that's my profile. My wife is low D, low I, S, C. This is called hell. <laughs> As in go to, all right? <laughs> we, this summer, it was so hilarious. We, we all went on vacation to Myrtle, or where we go, Virginia Beach, all our family, and Robert was with us and he brought his girlfriend Daniela and Daniela's all hyped up about this new thing called the what's it called Enneagram thank you Enneagram and so we all had to take this Enneagram test anybody in here know know the test okay a few of you it's really gaining in popularity and and so we all took the test and we all found out what each other's personalities were like and I scored like a seven and an eight thing. It was eights as high as you can go. And I'm so proud because I got the highest number. I won. And, and everybody else is somewhere else. And, my, and Pam was like really low, which fi- figures because this is, this is how we are. And um, so then at the end, it, t- it named like characters in history who are most like you. And we've got the Pam. I mean, it's like, Jesus? <laughs> Mother Teresa? I'm like, who's this woman I'm living with? I have no idea, right? I don't even want to talk about mine. The only two I remember is Hitler and Donald Trump. And that's no joke. I call it the enemagram. I hate the thing. I hate it. Oh, the whole thing. But between Pam and I, between the two of us, we really make up one person. We, without each other, we'd be a total disaster. Okay? So I just thought I better put that in there. Because um, I have to go home later. 
Anyway, personality is a big deal. You need to understand who you are and how you were made and, and how you interact with other people when they aren't just like you. And I, you know, even though you think you got the best personality, um, the other people do too. And, and so this is a big deal in trying to figure out your personality or your purpose. So we head over here. We've already spent a bunch of time with this. In fact, if you want to go, go back uh, the last you know, three weeks and you'll, you'll see us talking about this. This is the, the things that have happened in our lives that, you know, pain, fear, failure, where they shape who we are. They shape how we think. Um, can be really tough stuff. I, if, you, if you weren't here, you need to really go back and listen to these. It's week one and two of this series because... Um, these, these are big deals. And remember, we also talked about success being part of that shape. And we filter everything through the neurons of all of these things. And so that takes us over here to vision and dreams. And this is really age-related. I think I've got this in here. Um, yeah, Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all your people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I'm still going with visions. Um, what's this all about? Well, somewhere through here are thoughts through these other areas begin to build a vision and a dream. Not something to be ignored. Not something to have regrets over because you haven't done it. Not something to think, well, that will never happen. But because God wants to do this in your life. And I try to tell people this all the time. You're not beyond this. You're not too old. You haven't messed up too much in your life. Because this isn't about your greatness. God can do more in your life in a year than you could do in 50 years. And so, if you've messed up your life, if you've washed out in different areas. This is a really big deal. And God will put something in your heart through the things that you've gone through and you need to pay attention. You need to document it. You need to write it down. Okay, God, what are you, what's this about? What's this idea? What's this pain that I have? What do I see that other people don't see? The next one. We come across here to beliefs. Beliefs are formed really by these three areas. My gifts, my personality, and my experiences. We begin to think about who we are. We see ourselves in light of these three areas. What happens here is that we sometimes can be unhealthy. We look at ourselves in a very poor way. We look at ourselves as not being able to do certain things or I'm the victim of this, right? You know, and again, we're coming back to the three-legged stool I talked about several weeks ago. But for us to accomplish, for us to find out what our purpose is, our beliefs have to be healthy. They have to be of God. I, I wrote down two scriptures. I think these are both in your notes, but if not, just write down the, the reference and check them out later. Luke 2.40 it's a, a scripture about Jesus and how he grew up. It said, and, and Lou talks about this, this um, wisdom thing a lot in his book. 
He said, there the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Um, this is uh, really, the whole wisdom thing is, a, is an act of maturity. It's, it's your beliefs that are not affected by just negative things. It's okay, all these things happened. Who is God making me? And, and you really need to gr- get a grip on this. Third John 1, 2 He says, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. We need to be strong in spirit. And so we take all the things that we believe about ourselves and we filter them through what God wants to do, not who we think we are. We filter them through what God can do, not what we think we can do or can't do. We we, we take the whole success thing and instead of thinking, hey, we've made it, we think, okay, what's that for? In other words, you let all of these things affect your belief system. The next thing are relationships. Big, big deal. I don't think I put this in your notes, but you can write this down. I think that we got it on the screen. There are three kinds of relationships. Those that harm you, those that help you, and those who will define your destiny. Some of you have some very harmful relationships in your life. These are people who, who you actually give access to your soul and, and they crush you. If you've ever had a, 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 a parent who is crushing, who is never going to be in your corner, seriously, you have to build some defense against that. If you have a friend who is always taking you to the places of your failure, who you you know you're an alcoholic and they keep wanting to meet you at the bar, they know you're a drug addict and they have friends they want you to meet, you know, and and that can go anywhere. If you have, there are relationships that as you look at them in light of finding your purpose, there's some friendships, relationships that need to go away. Then there are those relationships that we have that can really help you. These are the people who are in your corner. These are people who will say, hey, wait a minute. Have you thought about this? And it's, a, it's godly advice. You need to have those in your life. Now, all of that being said, the church has built this wall up against people who are not believers. And I have seen the church in my lifetime turn into, and actually it's been happening for decades, uh, where we stay away from unsaved people, worldly people, because we're supposed to stay away. Well, no, we're not. Look at Jesus. Jesus was always with them. He was always loving them. He was always caring about them. He built relationships. He didn't just go around saving people. He built relationships with people. And these were, you know, from in society, some of the most degradable people around. And those are the people. Here, when when I'm going to give you something. This, you can do what you want with this. But when God calls you to something, when He puts a purpose in your life for something, and you start to recognize it, with that call comes a geography. It's a place where God wants to use you. It could be in a, in, in a, a profession. It could be on a property. It could, it, it, but it's, there's a geography. And in the geography are people who He has given to you. People who you will be able to influence. People who you will be able to challenge and and love and care for. And it's because it's built around something that you're good at. And something that God has 
blessed you to do and called you to do. And so, these are people who are extremely valuable in your kingdom thrust of life. And then finally, I'll come over here to the last one. And I need to close this thing down over on my time. Agreements. Agreements. This is actually the agreements that we have in our life between our beliefs and our relationships. In other words, at the end of all this, what are we really going to agree to believe? You may have some beliefs that you know are wrong. How are you going to change that? How are you going to make an agreement with yourself to think God thoughts, not your thoughts? Relationships. What are you going to decide? Who are you going to make agreements with? There are some people I can't. There are people who are believers I cannot make agreements with because they are so far off of where God's calling me. So I have to be very careful about who I make agreements with. I wrote this little thing down here, and I don't know if I have it up here. Okay. Yep. This is it. Beliefs are formed by my gifts, personality, and experiences, but my destiny is shaped by my agreements. I'll close with this thought. In Daniel, look at Daniel. You, you remember Daniel and the all the Israelites were captured and taken out of Israel and hauled to Babylon and, and what became Persia. And they were, they were there for, I think it was 70 years. They thought it would be a few weeks. You know, it was 70 years. And, and so God said to the people, I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to get married. I want you to have children. You're going to be here a while. And so Daniel became a Babylonian invader. He was just a man of God. And he began to invade Babylon with the culture of God. And so um, one day the king of Persia had a dream and he couldn't figure it out. And it says Daniel 5 verse 13. So Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? And then he said something, I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. And Daniel went on to say, hey, it's not the spirit of the gods, it's the spirit of God. And there is one God, and he was very clear throughout that chapter what was going on. But I thought it was interesting that this king from another place, another culture, would recognize who he was and the power that he had. He had what was called in, in this passage an excellent spirit. The Hebrew word for that is the word yatir. And it means the highest mountain. The highest mountain among all the other mountains. He had this spirit of excellence. I want to challenge you with this because everything that I've been talking about here is God putting things together in your life that take you to be the highest point that you can be. And there will be people who will look to you and see who you are and what you've done and what you've gone through 
and say, ah, there's something about you. I don't know what it is. It's, it's just, and if they could say it the way the Persian king would say, you have an excellent spirit. You're yatir. You're the person that God wanted you to be. That's what the kingdom's going to require. This, when, when, when Paul said he has, for, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us in Christ Jesus so we can do things he planned for us long ago. That's who we have to be. I'm going to challenge you with this. Hey, if you're here today and you don't have this relationship with Jesus, that's the starting point. And I want you to know something. It's not how good you are or what you've done. It's who He is that makes all the difference in the world. And if you want to um, start that relationship today with the Lord, I'm going to pray this prayer. And I just want you to pray it with me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my trouble, my mess, my sin, my failure, my shame, my pain, even my success. I want to be part of a purposeful generation. I want to live life to its fullest. I ask you right now to come into my heart. I want to start this relationship today. In Jesus' name, amen.